Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. Next Step Pod, I got a special guest tonight. Jay is uh, not here with us today, so we have a, a gentleman that I'd like to introduce. His name is Mike. How you doing? My name is Mike, and I am an addict here with Brad tonight. Welcome, Mike. So we're just going to get right into some news. Did you see that the church published some official letters for members of the church in the Western states on voting? I was not aware of those. The first one, I think you'll... I'm just going to read it to you. So these will probably be read from the pulpit this Sunday, I'm assuming. Uh, or within the next few weeks. but So this is like hot off the press, Fox 13 and Salt Lake, so you know they get it first. Right. <laughs> and it filters down to the rest of the United States and the world. Probably so this is the Western State. So here it is. Two church leaders of Arizona, California, Nevada, re- re- regarding recreational marijuana. Lawmakers and voters in several states, including Arizona, California, Nevada, are considering legalizing the use of marijuana for recreation purposes. Drug abuse in the United States is at epidemic proportions, and the dangers of marijuana to public health and safety as well as do- are well documented. Recent studies have shed light particularly on the risks that marijuana use, use poses to brain development in youth. The accessibility of recreational marijuana in the home is also a danger to children. We urge church members to let their voices be heard in opposition to the legalization of recreational marijuana. Signed, Thomas S. Monson, uh, Henry Eyring, and Dieter Uchtdorf. Mm. You going to support that? I do support that the church opposes recreational marijuana use. I think as a whole, our country is being so desensitized to, to how, how you know, harmful marijuana actually is. I think you know, there's, there's been a, a push with recreational marijuana across some of the, the states being Colorado and Washington, some other states that I know has, have legalized it. And, you know, I believe marijuana is a gateway drug in, in a lot of respects. And, you know, if, if anything, it, it's just sending a message to our youth that, oh, it's, it's harmless. And, I, and I think youth, a lot of youth today think yeah. that marijuana, it, alcohol is worse than marijuana. Yeah. So I might as well smoke weed as opposed to drinking. It's yeah. safer. It's natural. It's yeah. You know, and it, interesting, it's, you know, you don't see a lot of overdose deaths from marijuana specifically, but it doesn't really take into effect that it, it being a gateway drug, what it, what it leads to, and, and the, the really impairments it has on the brain and on other developmental processes that it's, that, you know, it's, it impacts, you know, it impacts our use in, in, in many ways that, you know, society thinks are, are harmless, and, and that, that's kind of scary to think that. So I, I do definitely agree that the church is... Do you think members of the church are going to see that and go, wow, that's lame, the church is meddling in? I mean, we, we kind of already have our word of wisdom <laughs> it's in pretty- place. So, it's, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I mean, alcohol is legal. Should, yeah. should we outlaw alcohol? It, you know. That's kind of the yeah. argument to be is would, would the church back yeah. in oppose well, the does legalization oppo- of alcohol? You know, does opposing something mean that, I mean, I think at least making a stance that we, we don't think it's a good idea. The church as a whole doesn't think it's a good idea. Whether whether it, it has an a, an impact to, to sway the voters, at least we at least we know as church members that this is. Do something you think that recreationally, we, you work in addiction uh-huh. recovery? Do you think 
recreational marijuana use has longer-term effects on addiction than recreational alcohol use. In other words, because people can recreationally drink a beer every now and again. Yeah, they can't, you know. And, and, you know, on the weekends I drink a beer. I don't, but people say that, right? They they crack open a beer and they're completely fine. They don't abuse their kids. They're not drunk driving. Is that any different than just lighting up a bong on the weekends? Um. I think for some people, some people probably can 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 do that. Does it make it right, or you know, I, th- I think it still goes against the word of wisdom. Definitely. But you know, I think when it really comes down to you know, and, and if if an addict is going to use, it doesn't really matter what the substance is. It's how the the person reacts to it. That's the real real challenge when somebody's in recovery. And you know, I I have that debate with people all the time. Well, you know, I'm a heroin addict, so. After I'm done with treatment here, I'm just going to go back and go on the marijuana maintenance plan. And, and every time you see that happen, two months later, they're knocking on your door again back in treatment. Well, what happened? Well, I, I thought I could just smoke pot and be okay. Next thing you know, they're, they're back using, you know, opiates and, and, and having these near-death experiences and, and needing to recover, treatment and recovery again. Um, you know, does it make it right that somebody can, you know, if you, if you you and from the church standpoint, if, if you believe in the word of wisdom and you, you think that these are values that, need to be uh, standards, then you know, it really shouldn't make a difference whether or not you could be going to become addicted to it or not. It's, it's not point. good for your body. Great point. And if you remember the church, yeah. the word of wisdom <laughs> was pretty clear right. uh, that marijuana is under that category of, yeah. and it's been clarified in, in subsequent that that is against the word of wisdom. Yes. So, okay. So no problem with that. The next one, I, uh, I, you know, I didn't really know the church stance on it, and so I... I had mixed emotions when I first read it, and then uh, as I reread it, I'm like, ah, I can stand by that. Probably, uh, so let me just read it to you. It's, it's regarding assisted suicide. Okay. Lawmakers and voters in some states, including Colorado, are seeking to legalize physician-assisted suicide. The church maintains a firm belief in the sanctity of human life and opposes deliberately taking the life of a person, even when the person may be suffering from an incurable condition or disease. And then it references the handbook. Life is a sacred gift and should be cherished e- even in difficult circumstances. Physician-assisted suicide is permitted by law in some countries and a few states in the United States. Experience suggests that such legalization can endanger the vulnerable, erode trust in medical profession, and cheapen human life and dignity. Moreover, the decision to end one's life carries a lasting impact far beyond the person whose life is ending. While the church opposes physical assisted suicide, members should not feel obligated to extend mortal life through means that are unreasonable. Decisions in such cases are best made by family members after receiving wise and competent medical advice and seeking divine guidance through fasting and prayer. We urge church members to let their voices be heard in opposition to measures that would legalize physician-assisted suicide. Hmm. Opinion? That's a, another hot topic. It is. It's it's hard to, I guess, put into a few sentences my view on that. You know, being in my 30s, it's something that I, I don't really it's think not about. On radar, it's not on right? my radar. Okay, but you go to your parents' but, grandparents. And, you know, my parents are still healthy. They're, you know, they're in their early 60s. And, you know, it, it's hard to say what that would be like when I have a loved one that's, that's at the brink. But, you know, I think, you know, really, like, what it's saying is that, you know, life is valuable and we're not, we're not here to say when 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 our time is up it's it's really up to up to up to up, to, up to heavenly father and 
And, you know, it, it goes on in that article to mention that doesn't mean that we go on to extreme measures to prolong life more yeah. than, than what, you know, through natural cause to but, extend it through there. So in, in that respect, it's, you know, it makes it makes sense. I think that if if you would allow that this to be a norm, then people would start, you know, where do you draw the line? Where do you, yeah, exactly. Where do you draw the line? What, okay, what's I, miserable to one person? Exactly. Not, and, like, and that yeah. can, you know, the trickle effect could, be, it could have some very... Um, damaging results down the line. So th- that's the last line where, because I thought, you know, the pulling the plug statement. Like yeah. when someone's just hanging in there and you got machines keeping them alive, yeah. do you keep them alive? That's not saying, that's not, that's yeah, not, that's not what this is saying. This right. is saying, my grandma is suffering or my mom, yeah, let's give her some medicin- medication yeah. enough so she basically overdoses and dies. Yeah. And that's what the church poses. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think this, I'm glad I have this now because. When I'm crossed with that, I'll know what yeah. the prophet's counsel yeah. is. And yeah. I think uh, they're on the lighthouse to see what's yeah. coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Because economic, like, uh, economic major, mm-hmm. I completely understand the economics of abortion. Right. It saves us a tremendous amount of money for someone who doesn't want to have a kid, who can't mm-hmm. afford it. Let's end that life. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a lot of huge economic advantage of, sure. hey, whoa, these medical bills are going to get outlandish. Right. We should end that life. Right. Economically, that makes complete sense. But uh, spiritually, I'm, I'm thankful for prophets to be able to sure. give us guidance yeah. to know what the, what the Lord's will is mm-hmm. for these issues. Yeah. So those are my two news topics. Great. You were no controversy there. Yeah, no. Jay would have probably dove in a little deeper. What I wonder his probably. opinion is. Well, I'll yeah. ask him next week on the next one. Yeah. So let's move in. to This week we did step five. So we're just going to jump right into your opening share, and then we'll come back in for Ask the Addict. My name is Mike. I'm an addict. And grateful to be here tonight. Um, it's, it's, you know, throughout the year as we get to go through each of these steps, it's, it's nice that, you know, each week we focus on a specific step. And, you know, through that process, you know, we, we gain an understanding educationally of what these steps really, what they can really do for us. And, and yet... Even with that knowledge, it's up to us to take action. We can we can sit there with this knowledge in our head, but it's really until we we begin to apply these steps into our lives that the the miracle of recovery begins to to take place. And you know, that's especially true for for the fifth step. You know, you know, my first few attempts at trying to get sober, it was it was more more or less okay. I need to change my environment. I just need I just need to get out of the situation I'm in. The situation I'm in is not doing me any favor, so I'm going to relocate. I'm going to go there. And try it out that way, and and then you know maybe things would work out for a little while, you know, on the outside some manageability would come back into my life, but then, you know, there I would go off on another run, and it would, and my addiction would just get deeper, worse and worse and worse to to periods where life was completely out of control, and you know through this process of of being defeated through my addiction, um, you know with it beating me to a state of reasonableness, there came an understanding that that the only way that I was going to recover was to, to get down to the causes and conditions. And so that's exactly what we're talking about in the fifth step is what are, what are the things that make me tick? Why, why do I act out in these certain, these specific ways? Why, why, why do I have this obsession to constantly use despite knowing what it's going to do to me, despite knowing that, you know, I have these responsibilities as a dad, as a father? As a, as a husband, and yet still acting out in, in these in these behaviors, and I didn't I didn't know what I had I had no solution myself, and 
you know, part of me, part of the, the addict part of me wanted a quick fix. I wanted, I wanted just a quick solution to, to stop the madness and, and there, there never was. You know, I've, I've been, you know, coming to ARP meetings now for about five years and, you know, for the first seven months I just, I just sat at these meetings and I, I didn't share, I didn't open up my mouth and I, I was afraid to, to really get honest with, with the group on where I was at, what I was struggling with, how, how dark my, my addiction had, had become and, and there wasn't really any, any healing going on in that and, um, and, and it took me a while. You know, but through through coming and through listening to other people share, and, and most importantly, of a feeling of 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 the spirit, I, I guess I could identify it as at, at that time. I never really felt worthy of it, but looking back, I know that that's that's really what it was was softening my heart to what the solution is. And um, you know, my my first year of recovery, you know, going through these steps with with a sponsor for that first year of recovery you know, was, was really life-changing for me. You know, we, the way my sponsor had me do it, we, you know, I did about a step a month. And, you know, so it was about that fifth and six months into my sobriety that I, that I really got to, you know, sit down and begin my fourth and fifth step. And as we, I was going through my fifth step with my sponsor, you know, there's there things that I didn't really want to talk about, things that I was ashamed of, things I was embarrassed about. And, you know, there'd be things on, on top of my inventory and I would kind of skip over that and kind of talk about these things and I remember my sponsor just calling me out and said I want you to talk about that one right there and he'd point to the the one on top of that page and but through that process I was able to get it all out there and you know there's sayings in, in our program one being that we're, we're only as sick as our secrets and is, is this step really to make us feel embarrassed about or less than or ashamed, you know, that's, it's the complete opposite of that. It's, it's really to take the power out of these things. And, you know, as I, as I have the opportunities to, to listen to others um, share their fifth steps with me, the more I'm enlightened to the fact of how similar we, we really are as human beings, as, as God's children, how, how majority of our, of our, um, Things on our fifth step are, are in a lot of respects identical to, to others, and, and we hold on to these things, and we think we're the only ones going through these things, or the only ones that have done these things. And in in most respects, that a lot of us have done, you know, a lot of the same exact stuff, and yet we we have isolated ourselves, thinking we're the only ones that, that have these things. And you know, so that in in that aspect of the step has has really, you know, allowed me the opportunity to to grow closer to others, to have compassion for others, and to, to know that I'm not alone struggling with these same things. And, you know, if you're sitting here tonight and you haven't done a fifth step, I, I really encourage you to, to put pen to paper in the fourth step. It's, it's not as terrifying as it, we make it out to be. You know, there's a saying says, you know, it takes, you know, 92 days to do a fourth step, 90 days to worry about it, and two days to do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once we get that done, we, you know, it, it suggests that we, we, we immediately sit down with another individual and we do our fifth step. And, you know, the, the beauty of this is that, you know, that is that we're, we're, we're treating the addiction from the inside out. You know, my addiction centers in my mind and it talks about that in this step of kind of some of the things that our addiction manifests itself with being negative thoughts, emotions, fear, pride, self-pity, jealousy, self-righteousness, anger, resentment, unbridled passions, you know, all these negative character defects that I, that I, that I carry, um, I act out in my addiction to mask 
because they don't know how to work through these these life problems, and that's why I'm using. That's why that's why I would put uh, substances into my body because I, I didn't know how to deal with life. At at the at the root of it, I really didn't know how to deal with life, and and so today, you know, through these this twelve step process, I have I've learned some tools, and it's it's up to up to me to to apply them. And when I apply them, life tends to go a lot better than when I forget to apply them. And you know, th these steps are a living solution to life's problems. And and without these steps, I um, I, I know where, where my life was before. I came into these rooms, and, and where it is at today is, is, you know, it's drastically different, and, and it doesn't mean that life's without challenges, but it, it means that today there's there's solution to my life's challenges, and and um, you know I hope I never forget that, um, you know, and today, you know I, I'm I'm grateful to to have opportunities to to live in the solution of recovery. That's that's why we're here tonight is to to be a part of the solution rather than out there because I know. My addiction's waiting for me out there, and um, you know I see what it does to other people, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, it's we're living in an epidemic where young people are dying, you know, every day through this disease, and it's it doesn't look like you know it's getting any more tame. Seems like you know, in a lot of respects, you know, addiction's winning out. More and more people are struggling with these with these challenges, and. You know, we are the ones that, that get to show that there is a way out. And, you know, I, I know there's a way out. And, you know, this is a spiritual program that needs a spiritual solution. And, and through that process, we recover. Um, I leave you my testimony that I, I know this gospel is true. I know that these 12 steps are divinely inspired, that they, they allow us to, our lives to be changed. And with that, I say those things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Step five on uh, Ask the Addict. So, Mike, step five is confession. Mm -hmm. This one seems to scare a lot of people. Why? Uh, the members of the church. Sure. They get the step, they do step four, the full inventory, their wounds open. Yeah. And now, step five is where you, it's about confession. You confess to your sponsor. Mm -hmm. And how, okay, first off, you sponsor quite a few people. Sure. How is this confession? Because at step four, they've inventoried everything. Yeah. How is the step five confession with another person? How is it different than the step four? Because in step four, you're, you've, to this point, kept everything to yourself. So this is the, the first time in, in many addicts' lives that they actually become completely honest with another human being. So in step four, it's not with necessarily with someone else. It's with, it's, it's with yourself. You're, you're writing out an inventory of the things that you've done wrong, the nature of your wrongs, specific things that you are guilty about, and, you know, just patterns in your life. And so, you know, there's... So, a, sometimes there's, a sponsor does that with some, their sponsory, right? 
Step four? Um, they, they, they'll, they'll help them. They'll, they'll okay. teach them how to do it. They'll okay. make sure they're doing it correctly. But they're, they're so not, that's my question. Is yeah. they help them do they it? Say, so you're going to write this down, but exactly. then don't tell me what it is yet. Yeah. Just exactly. write it down. Yep. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So after so step four is the helping, but they're not really getting into what is this mm-hmm. event and is this all you did? Yes. Okay. Uh, so in step five is where you really sit down and kind of go over everything that you've done. Some people do kind of like a, a, a timeline of your life, dating back to, you know, your first recollection of some of the things that, you know, have been weighing down on your conscience and you kind of go through. It's easier to start with those things that are fresh in your mind and then work your way back to things that might be vaguely remembered, things that may have happened in childhood or, you know, you know, as a teenager, things that you may have you know, pushed down and, and buried under the rug for a while. You can kind of, you know, bring those stuff to surface. Ideally, it's it's not for us to feel bad or ashamed is to to identify what these patterns are so that we don't have to repeat them again. That's interesting. I've heard that a lot. It's as they go through, you kind of self-realize the pattern, yeah. not necessarily I'm a schmuck because I did yeah. this. It's, yeah. oh, I've noticed I'm in the same cycle. Exactly. A cycle, and then you identify the trigger. Yeah. What? So the key for this confession is, we heard a lot of quotes tonight about you know you're only sick as your secrets. You cannot become clean until you've come, until you come clean. Confession opens up the door. You know some addictions you can smell and see others are secret. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh, tricks I would say that you do to you know because I think the tendency is probably not to be completely honest. Like I'll give right. you eighty percent and I'll mm-hmm. leave this twenty percent. How have you gotten people to really trust you to dive into the 100% honesty? What I have, you know, what they, what they teach us in recovery is that we help others get sober through our experiences. It's, it's when somebody comes up to me and wants help, you know, what I have is my own experience. And, you know, I'm not there to, to just give them advice because, you know, sometimes my advice might, it might not be the best solution. But what I could tell them is this is this is something that's similar to what you're going through that I've done. This is the things that I had to do to work through it. So in, in the fifth step, you know, when someone is sitting there and they're nervous about some of the things they've done, some of the e- easiest ways to, to break the ice is to kind of go through and, and share some of the things that, that I have done on my fifth step. And, and sometimes just through that process of look like, or when they when they share stuff on there, so they go, I can identify. I did the same exact thing, or this is something that that, that, that I did. That was that surprise them a lot. Yeah, it kind of just it kind of just eases the the anxiety in the room. It's yeah. like okay, like I can breathe now. Okay, maybe maybe some of the things I haven't done aren't, aren't that bad. And it J- kind of puts talks us on about the fear field. of being terminally unique. Yeah, that he was he was the only one doing it. And yeah. when he worked with his sponsor, that that's where it realized yeah. I'm not unique. Yeah, and as as you're sponsoring people. The same thing. That's the common theme. It, pretty much. There hasn't been much that I've listened to from other steps that I, I haven't done. Maybe that makes me, you know, someone that's <laughs> maybe I don't know what that says about me. But uh, at the same time, I who cares? It, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. That the the fact is that we're we're here to to get in this solution, and the solution here is is confessing the nature of our wrongs, and um, you know, there's there's healing power in that. So that. Working with your sponsor is part of step five. You confess yes. your sponsor. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, how many in, in LDS sponsorees, mm-hmm. do they, have they gone to the bishop before you? Or is that the step where you say, okay, now 
these are what you should go to your bishop and talk to him about these things. Yeah. How organic I, is that? Is um, it, you know, and I, I really leave it up to the, the to them, like, you know, by, you know, it's important that we, we trust in, in our, in the spirit, you know, and there's, there's an acronym for gut and that's God's undeniable truth. If, if you got that gut feeling that you need to talk to your bishop about something, you need to do that. You need to, you need to, to listen to, to the spirit and do it. And so it's not me to, to, to really say exactly how do you approach him? When do you even approach him? But that, you know, it's, you know, through this process that they're going to know, they're going to know what they need to, to talk to the bishop about. And if it's, well, the, and the manual specifically says yeah, and, and something would prevent you from getting a temple recommend. Exactly. Some may not have ever had a temple recommend. Yeah. So they don't know what those questions are, but that's easy to pull up, mm-hmm. pull up on your phone and say, here's the yeah. interview questions. If any of those are, would be an issue, that's what you would talk to your bishop about. Yes. Right. So that, that's kind of laid out for us. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fear, how much do they share their fear of maybe discipline, church discipline, where mm-hmm. you're not, you know, if you get disfellowship, that means you're not able to hold a calling or take the sacrament for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Bishop may say, don't take a sacrament for a period of time. Right. But I think if they're at that stage, to correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably realize you're not worthy to take a sacrament anyway. So, yeah, you know, I, th- I think when, if you really genuinely want to, to overcome, any addiction, then you know the spiritual uh, principle through all these steps is humility. Is that you know we'll, we'll go to any length to to overcome this addiction, and it means that you know there you know in addiction we we experience so much pain that that pain becomes unbearable. That it doesn't matter it doesn't matter anymore. We'll we'll, t- we didn't, we'll, t- we'll really tell anybody because we, we're so sick of of the the pain that these secrets have caused that it. It doesn't matter if we really want the healing power of the steps. It, it won't matter, you know. If we're not ready, if we're still holding on to these, if if we still enjoy the 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 sin or the the behavior, then you know we it may just be it may be that the, the person's not ready to fully give it up, and 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 that's that's that just shows how how powerful this addiction can be because it um it it's not the easiest thing to do because the addiction has so much power. And and to me, the testimony for the inspiration of bishops is it's there's not like, oh, you did this, you did this, mm-hmm. that equals, and there's not a spreadsheet that goes, oh, well, that's three months of this, two, like, mm-hmm. it's very a spiritual decision. And I have seen a, a, a wide variety of what that could be that, you mm-hmm. know, maybe, you're, you know, you don't go to the temple for a few months or you don't take the sacrament or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think complete trust in the keys of the priesthood and, and that position of bishop is is very manifest in that process. And, and, and the testimonies that I've heard after was that's a very so scared going into it. I'm going to mm-hmm. get in trouble. And right. it's like that was the most, you know, every step they go along, it's like, well, that was the most spiritual part. Well, that was the most spiritual part. It really escalates the, the spirituality of the steps really increase. Mm-hmm. How... Um, I don't know the answer to this, and I'm really curious. If you sponsor members of the church and non-members of the church, mm-hmm. so you have sponsor. Do you have a sponsor? Anyone that their higher power is the sun or the beach? You know, yeah, in AA? yeah. I've, I've I've sponsored somebody that they didn't really know what what their higher power was, and you know, it it became just the energy in the universe, really. So what you know, confession of amongst almost every. Every Christian denomination, con- mm-hmm. and the Bible is very clear that confession is a major part mm-hmm. of repentance. Ha- how have you seen 
when they, besides confessing to you to an ecclesiastical, a pastor, yeah. or their bishop, has really helped in recovery? I think it helps. It doesn't matter what your your background is on on religion or spiritual beliefs. Is the the act of confession takes the power out of of anything, and there there's you know the recovery is about bringing to light what's been in the darkness and and there's no way someone can recover when they're holding on to a secret they're holding on to things and and that's been proven time and time again and and you know the steps really date back to you know Bill Wilson who who founded AA he the you know how how did he come up with these 12 steps well there there was a, a group called the Oxford group and the Oxford group was was based off of, of they had Christianity roots, and you know they they went through this process where there was you know four things that the person had to do you know to, to overcome recovery. And they were and that, at this time they were dealing with with primarily alcoholics, oh, yeah. and you know the the first step was that you know they had to get honest with themselves. The second step they had to get honest with somebody else. So they had to go to somebody else and say, look, these are the things I'm struggling with, and it had to go beyond just the act of drinking, but it went beyond that and. And then it went into you know being of service and cleaning up the wreckage, being making amends into, through this process. So there there was this systematic plan in order to recover from from any addiction, and confession was a part of that. So it doesn't really matter whether you're you know you have you know somebody within a church organization that you need to, to go speak with. You're, you're going to find recovery just by sharing with anybody that a part of your life and. That dates back thousands of years, I think, throughout history where they found so it's therapeutic right. it's relief true, through through confession. It's a true principle. Yeah, re- exactly. Regardless. regardless. So, yep. you, we can see through the apostasy of how truths were lost and gained, but uh-huh. confession is a true gospel principle. In fact, it is uh, the second principle of the gospel. Right. Faith, repentance. Repentance. Ah. repentance is confession. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's interesting that it's, you know, uh, more... I, I, I would think... A lot of people would love to not have to do this confession. They they would hope that they could just get sober, not tell anybody, yeah. and just stop. Yep. And they're going to be fine. And you've probably known people that have done that, right? Yeah. Did you try that? I tr- yeah, I tried. Did you try like I'm just going to stop? I'm just going to stop. Yeah. I don't need to tell anybody, but I'm just going to stop. Stop. Yeah. And and yet, how many of those people remain sober and live sobriety? Yeah. Not many are successful at it. Yeah, you know anybody that's gone for you know in addiction that we they say that you you cross over an invisible line to where at one point maybe you could have just stopped, never gone back to it. But there comes a point where you, when you cross over that line, Fr- you, from recreation from, from to recreational dr- to to addiction, addiction. to where um, you know, we can't outsmart this. You can't you can't you can't do it. You know by just you know overthinking it and, and stopping based off of, of, of self will. It doesn't work that way. And we'll close. That's what the, I I love the gospel and mm-hmm. the commandments we have yeah. because that that invisible line is different for every single person yeah. and for every sin mm-hmm. or substance. Yeah. So for me, it's going to be that line is somewhere different than you, mm-hmm. and everyone has it different. And so the line, the the the, the visible line mm-hmm. is one that's set by. God and the scriptures and our prophets of here's a line that we're drawing and if you stay on this side of the line you're going to be safe so mm-hmm. word of wisdom that's right law of chastity yeah 
Um, we have some new guy. We read those guidelines earlier in the in the podcast. Recreational marijuana. Like we draw the yeah. line. Like that's right. not a good thing. We stay on this side. You're yeah. going to be safe. And if you do happen to cross over that invisible line for um, for whatever reason, there's a path back. Yeah. And those are the 12 steps of recovery. And I think you're thankful for those, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. My life's completely different. All right. Well, Mike, thanks for yeah. being a guest today. Thank you for having Any me. Last final words for the world. On to the next step. Just keep what is on. what is the key? What is, what do I do next? Yeah, just look look ahead. The next step. <laughs> All right. Take the next step. All, All right. right. Until next week. The next step with Brad J. All right. Oh,